difficult can be the word for the changing world of class one year. Roller coaster. Gradual recovery. If you let me pick, I will say uh, it's the President Xi Jinping's meeting with the leadership in Vietnam. Another one I have to say is the return of Huawei from its near-death experience due to technological strangulation by both the Trump and the Biden administrations. I really love the saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and that's exactly what the company in China did. ChatGPT, I think this has had huge impact in our area. I believe Chinese dream and the dream of the world are more and more closely integrated with each other. China is more than anyone else believing that if China wants to get better, it must get the whole world better first. My forecast about next year, the keywords will be change. I think it will be bumpy. I'm not sure how bumpy. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tu Yin. As 2023 draws to the end, we have a review of the most memorable moments and significant events that might continue to impact China and the rest of the world in the future. Joining our discussion are Harvey Zodin, Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, Mike Baston, Senior Lecturer with University of Southampton, UK, and Dr. Chu Chang, Research Fellow, Beijing Foreign Studies University. Great to have you back on the show to take us through the past year, gentlemen. Looking back, how would you define 2023 in one word or maybe one phrase? Let me start with Dr. Chu here in Beijing. Well, I think it's uh, difficult. That's it. Yeah, it, just the one word, right? Difficult. Right, right. In, in what sense? Maybe a, a little bit of uh, elaboration? Uh, well, the reason why I picked this word is because everywhere is difficult. You see geopolitical conflict is still there. Mm. We see in the uh, Eastern Europe and also in the Middle East, uh, a war is going on. Lots of people are dying. And also in some developed nations, for example, like South Korea, Japan, and uh, you know Germany, mm. we see uh, those, uh, you know, Great trader, this uh, you know, trade surplus earner traditionally, mm-hmm. are losing their profit. Uh, they've been seeing probably uh, one of the most the trade deficit in the uh, past one year, and also for some other countries, they see high inflation and also low growth. Even for America, America probably have the best performance in the economy, mm-hmm. and also they have the peaceful environment. But still, when I travel to America, we find out the local people's income and uh, you know. Their complaint are still there. And the income is not very satisfying compared to the soaring prices and uh, in the job opportunity. So I think difficult can be the word for the changing world of last year. Mm, thank you. And uh, to Harvey. Uh, my word is something I would never get on in my life, and it's called roller coaster. Right. So I think from, from the balloon incident at the beginning of the year, which uh, reversed any progress at the meeting President Xi and Biden had in Bali weeks earlier to the successful summit between the two leaders in San Francisco just six weeks ago now, bilateral relations have been had more ups and downs than the world's most dangerous roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And I expect this roller coaster to continue uh, in operation, unfortunately. Okay, uh, last but not least, uh, Mike. Well, I think it's difficult, isn't it? The final word or phrase, the world is changing and it's different in different parts of the world. If, if I had to, I think I'd be a little bit more optimistic and my word or my words would be gradual recovery. 
Okay. Because despite uh, a lot of geopolitical tensions, a lot of economic uh, woes, I think we are in a better position now than we are globally this time last year. The pandemic, that would, is something that appears to be something of the past, and we seem to have got to grips with that. Mm-hmm. There are challenges ahead. Uh, we have seen the opening up of uh, markets, certainly the, the reopening of the, the Chinese market and all that that brings to the world economy, I think, more this year. So I think gradual recovery, but, but um, tough road ahead. Mm, right. Difficult, but with some uh, promising um, aspects there. I think so. Right. Yeah. Then when it comes to yourself personally, Mike, um, what would be your most memorable moment or event for you? Well, I'm going I'm to sort of resort to type here and get back to, to the work that I do and the, the, the research, and has just been my focus for a long time. And I'm going to go for, I mean, there are lots of events here. Perhaps the most memorable event uh, or the most significant event was probably COP28. But for me, in looking longer term and China's integration with the world, I would go back to September this year, London Fashion Week, where we had a record 21 Chinese fashion designers showcasing their work. So the likes of Wang Yuhan, uh, Chen Feng Wang, Susan Fong. I think this is a real symbolic pioneering move when it comes to brand China and Chinese integration and Chinese brands, Chinese elements in brand becoming commonplace internationally and globally and all the benefits that that brings. So I, I would say that the continued rise of Chinese fashion designers internationally and London Fashion Week uh, in September this year is most significant for for me and longer term for China and the world. Mm, I can imagine. What about uh, Dr. Chu? Anything about your personal life or still about work? Most memorable thing? Yeah, for me, uh, there's nothing special uh, for this whole year. And I think this is already the most memorable thing in the past one year. You know, everything is as usual. I'm not getting, you know, the virus. I am having a stable life. And the family is healthy, mm. and I think this is already the most blessing uh, moment or the blessing year or the blessing thing of the uh, you know past one year. Yeah. But for the whole nation, I think we have many memorable moments or the things. For example, the earthquake we just experienced. Right. It shows uh, you're the very precious moment for the human nature and the spirit of the whole nation. And everybody runs to the disaster hit area, try to provide help. So you can see even in the hard year, in a hard moment, still the Chinese people remember there are somebody are harder than you and they need immediate help. And when they see that kind of situation happened, they wouldn't hesitate even a little bit. And then they rush to the place and provide their help with their warm hands. Mm. So I think that moment always, you know, made me, you know, very, very touching and, mm. uh, you know, feeling very warm. Yeah, that's really something to remember for this year. But um, to Harvey, what about you? Yeah, well, mine is personal. On November 1st, uh, I flew 8,000 kilometers from here in Vienna, Austria to Shanghai. And I arrived on the morning of the 2nd and I immediately uh, flew to uh, Changsha, the capital of Hunan province. And then I took a fast train, it was a long trip, to near Jiangxi in that province's remote Tuya and Miao autonomous region. So most of the fast train trip was actually through tunnels and it took three hours. But I imagine before the bullet train was built that the slow green train Mm. would have taken the better part of a day and night. So that was real progress. 
I had the privilege of speaking at the uh, Shibadong Forum on Poverty Reduction on the 2nd and the 3rd. And it was the 10th anniversary of President Xi's visit to that remote mountain village where mm. he made a promise to alleviate extreme poverty there. And he kept his promise. I was impressed to, to witness how in a decade, Shibadong had gone from a poor, inaccessible village into a modern, accessible one with convenient transportation prosperous industrial development, and a green environment. After the conference, I went back to Shanghai in order to attend the CIIE, China International Import Exhibition, where foreign enterprises sold their wares to the tune of $78 billion to Chinese enterprises. It was overwhelming. More than 400,000 people attended it. And I was also pleased to be interviewed about it by CGTN TV mm. in their Shanghai studio on the Bund. The backdrop of brightly lit skyscrapers across the Huangpu River to Pudong on the other side was amazing because the first time I was there in 1988, Pudong was only fields as far as the eye could see. Right. It seems uh, the most memorable thing um, for Harvey this year is also something related to China. And uh, give me one minute to, to share uh, my experience of this year. It's also related to um, this country's poverty reduction and the rural area. And we went to some five provinces to do this uh, special series, My Expat Life in Rural China. We talked to um, six or seven expats living in China. Um, more specifically in rural China, and found out how fabulous their life actually was um, here in this country. And uh, the whole series will be published online in a few days. This is just a small ad. Then let's bring this whole thing to a broader scope. Say, this whole whole nation, actually, Dr. Chu already mentioned some um, unfortunate disaster, earthquake, happening in, in this country. That's a quite memorable thing, especially when we are coming to this almost year end. And uh, it's quite abrupt, caused a lot of damage to many families. But in some other areas, say politics, Dr. Chi, what would you say are the most significant or major events that would have long-term implications for China, both China and the rest of the world? Well, politically, we have so many things very important for China and the rest of the world. Uh, for example, in the beginning of the year, we have the, uh, the 20th Party Congress, and that set the uh, overarching design for the next five years Chinese policy, as well as uh, setting up a, a guideline for Chinese economic development. That's very important. And also, you see our leadership has carried on with many you know, diplomatic meetings with major countries, major leaders. Indeed. And that can, you know, provide a very important cornerstone or stabilizer for the world stability. Because <laughs> in the past one year, I think we have had enough of instability, right? Uh, so many conflicts, so many arguments, so many wars and, you know, death and injury. And also, uh, letting alone we have so many frictions on the trade and uh, all kinds of the, you know, fighting against each other on the tariffs and, you know, all kinds of the treaties. But I think China can stand out and then uh, tell everybody, hey, here is a stable you know, market. Here is a place that you can drop all your biases. You can drop all your differences. Just come here to talk to each other and to do trade, cooperation, uh, people-to-people -people visit. 
and uh, you know technology mutual cooperation so all these things can happen in china far eastern region in the whole world and trying together with a partner like asian nations and also with africa and latin america you know are providing things are building things are you know doing trade so i think eventually in this high inflation you know high conflicts you know backdrop the whole world I think this is more precious than ever before. Indeed, but of those um, meetings you you just mentioned, uh, diplomatic meetings, if you have to pick one, which one would you say is the most probably influential? Maybe you know in the years to come, and not just within this year. Well, I think if you let me pick, I will say、uh, it's the President Xi Jinping's meeting with the leadership in Vietnam.、Right. Well, a lot of people probably say. Why it's not,、uh, you know, President Xi's meeting with Biden and、mm. the United States? Well, I think、um, if you're familiar with Huntington's theory, I think in the future we will have different culture circle. And、uh, in Asia, you know, the Eastern Asian plus ASEAN region, this Eastern Asian culture circle is going to appear. So in the past 100 years, we have experienced too many wars. Uh, you know, since the First World War and Second World War, and all kinds of you know rebuild and restructuring. Of the political regime and also the born and death of the nation, and then suddenly this、uh, you know highly integrated Eastern Asian region has been you know in a fractions. But now I think in the past 20 years, and I think this region are coming together again in a new form, peaceful, stable, democratic, and also equal、uh, you know manner. China, ASEAN nations, Japan, and Korea. You know, every country are working together at least to do their maximum capability. And、uh, you know, the meeting between China and Vietnam means you know、um, this two major nation in、uh, Northeastern Asia and also in ASEAN nations、uh, are hand in hand together, put behind everything, every differences, and try to look forward, work together.、Mm. So this is actually very, very meaningful for this two nation as well as. For the whole Eastern Asian culture circle and trade circle,、mm. so that's to me the most important meeting. Right, right, quite sensible. And Mike, well, I think I, there's something else I want to mention. We're just building on that. I think it's a very, very good point. And I think going forward, not just this year but next year, over the next few years and beyond, integration, economic and trade integration across Asia and across ASEAN nations and beyond, with the Belt and Road, the Asian Investment Bank, etc. I think that's a definite. Uh, trend to monitor and events that are expediting that, such as the relations between China and Vietnam, are very, very significant. So I think that that's certainly worth highlighting. I think I come back to the、um, the relationship now and going forward between China and America. I think you, you've got to, to to look at that and look at Biden and, and President Xi Jinping and then the, the most recent meetings and, and going forward next year. And, and I think we. The relationship, I don't think it could be better,、mm-hmm. but I think it is. I think there's a there's a calmness now. I think you know, obviously, I think we'd like to think Trump is out of the picture, and that's that that that's not going to happen again.、Uh, so, so I think on a positive note, I think Xi Jinping being reelected is a very very good thing for China, very very good thing for for, for the world going forward. I think relations with America and then the and political development there, I think, will become. More and more productive, and more and more positive. So I think I'd like to, to again, to, to, to strike an optimistic note there when it comes to Sino-U.S.、Uh, political relations. Right,、uh, Harvey. What would be your choice? Also, something related to Sino-U.S. relations. Uh, th- yeah, that plus others, and I think we could spend the whole hour discussing just the political ramifications of the past year. But for me, 
the wars in Ukraine and Gaza are top of mind. The mm -hmm. Ukraine war has gone on for nearly two years now, and there's no end in sight. The war in the Middle East is less than three months old, but it's also seen death and destruction on a massive scale without any end in sight for either of those conflicts. Both have had profound effects beyond their borders and will continue to. But also about the U.S., the continuing political circus in the U.S. with the country being so divided that almost nothing gets done is a concern for people of the world, actually, as well as U.S. The biggest outrage to me wasn't the lying congressman, George Santos, or whatever his name was, who was removed from his seat, or even the ouster of the Speaker of the House, the person who's third in line to presidential succession. But to me, it was the paranoia that exists in America today. There's a committee called, and I quote, the House Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party, unquote. Mm. Just two weeks ago, this committee made almost 150 bipartisan recommendations for new laws. And these boil down to essentially severing many economic ties with China. These people in the House must live in some fantasy land who they desperately want to deglobalize and go back to the 18th century world of uh, domestic self-sufficiency. And as we know, it's not going to happen. Another event was the BRICS summit that enlarged BRICS, and yet another was the third Belt and Road Forum that fine-tuned BRI so that it can run more efficiently in its second decade. I think you, if you look at the theme of the forum, it says it all. Mm -hmm. High-quality Belt and Road cooperation together for common development and prosperity. And how, how would you expect these factors you just mentioned to um, affect Sino-U.S. relations, arguably the most important bilateral relations of today in the new uh, in the coming year. Well, that's interesting. I would expect that uh, we're going to see rough waters between now and this time next year because we have an election, presidential election coming up, as well as the down ballot in states, local governments, and so on. And I believe that it's going to be a race to the bottom to demonize China, and I don't think that's going to be helpful for political relations between the two countries. And I think we have to keep in mind, and I hope China keeps in mind, that a lot of this is uh, politics, uh, American politics, to go for the low-hanging fruit, which China is, but also that there will be many problems coming out of this mindset. The only issue that seems like American people and legislators can agree on is that uh, a U.S. good, China bad, which is you know so far from the, the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, both countries are doing very well in some respects and challenged in, in others. So I think that is uh, something to watch out for. Right. I think the other things I mentioned, like uh, BRICS and Belt and Road Forum, are something that the U.S. will watch closely. And I think they're going to continue to try, especially in terms of uh, their U.S. and EU versions of the Belt and Road, to try to one-up China. Mm. But their plans are not as uh, well thought out, not as detailed, and not as well funded as China. So I think it's going to be too little too late, but they're certainly going to, to try. But I believe that BRI is going to continue to be successful and to make a huge difference in the world. You're listening to the Chat Lounge. When we come back, Chat GPT or the rebirth of Huawei. It's your pick.
Dunhuang. Situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. Why we love Dunhuang? You will have your answers. Welcome back. You're listening to the Chat Lounge, and we are having a review of the most memorable chapters in 2023. And another area which we, we see also difficult um, conditions or situation is the economy. So, Dr. Chu, the most significant event in this aspect, please. Well, I think for the economy in the whole year, I think the uh, most important issue is we have the Central uh, Financial Work Conference. And in this conference, we have set very important tone for um, how we can handle uh, a financial sector, financial risks, and financial development in the future. So I think there are several key uh, you know, takeaways in here. Mm-hmm. Number one is the uh, central government has already set up a tone and a guideline to you know, de-risk uh, the major leverage issue, major uh, debt issue for the local government and the property market. So that's a good news. So recently, after the uh, conference and currently, we've heard you know, such kind of relevant risks has already been, you know, used to be mentioned as major risks or big uh, risks, but now uh, we mention them as just risks. So it shows that we have already found a way to, you know, keep it in a manageable way. Mm. And secondly, is about the development and uh, of the financial sector itself. Uh, for the first time, uh, we have mentioned financial sector is one of the most important sector of the whole uh, national development and modernization. Right. It's the backbone and a bloodline of the modern economy in China. Because in uh, in the past, we mentioned more about the, our manufacturing industry. We see a real economy as the most important factor in China. But right now, we try to strike a balance between manufacturing and the financial service industry. So I think of this is you know a step forward to you know upgrade our understanding for modern Chinese economy. Mm. As well as we try, we made another point is that to demolish the old things, uh, you know, and to build the new things. This is what we mentioned before. But now uh, for this conference, we say we should build the new things first before we demolish the old ones, which means you need to be very stable, very careful, and very cautious to move forward. So we come back to our old habit, and is which is good merit, is uh, you know cross the river by filling the stones, especially when the river is muddy and you don't know what's down in there. So I think with this three you know statement in there. We are more clear about about what's going to happen in the sector, and uh, you know we're more confident that in the future Chinese economy is going to be stable. Mm. If I remember correctly, um, also during this conference, the central government has, for the first time, set up a goal for China to become a financial powerhouse. Doctor Chi, that would be a difficult uh, task, right? No, I don't think it's difficult. Uh, but just take a look. We have already been the number two bond market and number two uh, stock market in the whole world. So this actual phenomenon, considering China has only been, you know, doing this modernization, you know, for 40 years, 
So this is actually a very, very fast, uh, you know, achievement, very big one. And also, uh, secondly, if you take a look at the uh, Chinese internationalization of renminbi, our own currency, by the end of this year, uh, Chinese renminbi has already become the fourth largest trade and settlement uh, currency of the whole world. Because I am one of the editor of the renminbi internationalization report. Mm. We've been doing it for almost 10 years. I still remember 10 years ago when we were first doing this report, the renminbi's use in, you know, the percentage in the total use of the whole world trade settlement is you know, lower than 1%, probably 0.5%. Mm. But now it's already more than 4.6%. And also, uh, even three years ago, this number is only 2%. So which means in the past three years, renminbi doubled and more, uh, you know, in its size and, uh, you know, acceptance of the whole world trade. So I think this is what Chinese financial resources has been contributing to the world. So uh, Chinese stock market, bond market, well, Chinese bond has already been, you know, largely bought by the international financial capitals, mm. as well as stock resources. Many international companies are getting listed in Hong Kong, and also some trying to get listed in, you know, their joint stock companies are trying to get listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen. So China has become a more and more important financing source of the whole world. So I think these are all China's potential and a contribution to the future world. Right. And Harvey, your pick? Okay, well, I have a number of picks, actually. Right. So to me, the although the biggest economic challenge stems from recovery from COVID, at the same time dealing with the effects of the wars we've talked about in Ukraine and the Middle East. And one continuing challenge is the continuing food and energy crises sparked primarily by the war in Ukraine, but made worse by the recent instability we've seen in the Middle East and the supply chain disruptions in shipping channels there. Another one is the cost of living crisis that resulted from COVID and then the shocks uh, from the the two wars. And still another is a continuing geoeconomic confrontation between China and the West, because it's not only a confrontation between China and the U.S., you have the EU as well, which seems to be uh, not exercising strategic autonomy, but doing America's uh, bidding. So still another one is the trade and it is dire straits that the world is in because the WTO, the W Trade Organization, finds itself, thanks to the U.S., basically crippled by not allowing to be functioning on the appellate level. Mm. And yet another uh, are the devastating effects of the extreme climate changes. On the plus side, while China is temporarily being economically challenged at the moment, the good news is that China is clearly the world's leader in green energy, and that's not only helping uh, its economy, but benefiting the whole world. So uh, there's a lot to chew on here, but I think there are a lot of concerns and a lot of pluses. That's why I think it was a roller coaster for this year. Mm. I had thought you might choose, uh, you know, the Fed's continuous interest rate hikes. Of course, there is some interruption there. Yeah, I didn't, know because we could have spent the the whole program just on the economic aspects and just on that, actually. I do think that the Fed at the end of the year can be seen to have done a, a pretty good job. And hopefully next year, we'll see some easing off of interest rates, although this is still controversial. But the rising interest rates has created problems, which you alluded to before, the problems that even though on paper the economy looks much more robust under uh, President Biden than it did under President Trump, the fact of the matter is that most people in America 
don't think that this uh, has come down to them, trickle down, that's the word, trickle down to them. And mostly they feel that the economy is doing so well because uh, it's benefited fat cats, but not common prosperity for Americans. Right, right. All right, to Europe, uh, Mike? Uh, I think economically, when you look at Europe and focus on the European economy, you, you tend to have to focus on or certainly include Germany and the German economy. Uh, and I think the picture there is you know, mediocre, to say the least. I think the German economy has been exposed far more than others to conflict with Ukraine and Russia and the dependence on, on energy uh, in, in that side of things as well. So I, I think the, the economically, that Europe is looking to Germany perhaps to become stronger, stable, move away from the reliance perhaps on Russia, and also the ongoing issue when it comes to, to Brexit and trade relations across uh, that divide now between the UK and the single European market. So I think those two, without one particular significant development, I think those two factors really, really dominate for me. And so we'll be looking again to, to Germany and the German economy for maybe taking the lead in 2024. And I think things are, again, I use the word recovery, gradual recovery at the start of the show, and, and I think things have stabilized a little, and I think are better uh, when we're optimistic but, but there's still a lot of uncertainty and then the European economy generally remains uh, pretty sluggish. Mm, not the UK's, you know, intention to, I should say, mend its economic relations with China. And um, uh, I think, obviously... Yeah, I think that's an issue, yeah. I mean, if you look at the UK, we focus on the UK specifically briefly, there will be a general election next year at some point. Uh, so that's all the talk now. And the, 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 the current governing party, the Conservative Party, are very, very far behind in the polls. It's quite right to say this is no bias on my account at all. Mm. And I don't have a particular party political bias, but they are despised up and down the country. Living standards have plummeted. So we may see change there. Relations with China, I, I think, could be better. I think it was Harvey mentioned the paranoia in the U.S. and this, this uh, committee that's been set up. I did I quietly, quite chuckle. It's very similar in the U.K., and, and it does make me quite concerned that this paranoia that is totally misplaced when it comes to China. But hopefully that will change and they'll see that as more as an opportunity and bridge building. And with a change of government, a more open government, internationally more open, uh, possibly centre, centre-left, I think we could see a step in the right direction. Mm. Okay, let's move on to another field, technology. Um, I can think of uh, mainly three major events in this area, which is the omnipotent uh, chat GPT and the return of Huawei to the global smartphone market against the backdrop of U.S.-led tech containment of China and um, you know the formal operation of China's national space lab, the Tiangong Space Station. So, Dr. Chi, what would be your pick? Those three or... Anything else you would value well, most? Well, I would like to say, yes, uh, Chinese achievement on aerospace you know, technology is definitely phenomenal among all. I know why is that? You know, uh, I think the next generation would be the generation of the space. Space technology will serve the human being with lots of benefit mm. and also lots of the uh, costs. Uh, Matic technology will actually be switched to you know, civilians' use. And China right now, you know, you, you probably, for the foreigners, you, it's very hard to imagine how hard for China to, you know, be here uh, as one country. Yes, and one country alone. Because uh, China has been basically rejected out of every other known uh, space project, mm. uh, you know, dominated by USA, USSR, and later uh, Russia and India. So China has no choice but only to, you know, build all the things 
by itself is basically zero to one achievement, because nobody will share you with uh, share with you uh, you know with anything uh, what they know about it. So China right now is probably the only country alone running its own space station, mm. and China and uh, have you know it's the second country have the retrieval rockets, and of course Elon Musk and NASA would definitely not sharing China with their technology and the retrievable rockets, but China by itself has already done it. We have our retrieval rocket, the second one of the whole world. And also China this year have completed and used our mega loaded, you know, a rocket, which means with one shoot of a rocket, you can shoot up like 41 satellites, which means, you know, uh, Elon Musk are very proud of their uh, Starlink, right? Uh, with hundreds of the, you know, low, low orbit satellite can form an internet and a communication network. Mm. And they have done like dozens of, you know, tens of, you know, launches to do that. But with China's technology of the mega load, and I think we can done it like with one, uh, with two or three shoots of a rocket, we can complete this network of the satellite in the low orbit. Indeed. So all this can, you know, sounds very, you know, exciting. But if you know the details are very, very hard. It's capital intensive, talent intensive, and also time consuming. Everything is difficult. But under the circumstances like this, China has still managed to do it. So it's not only a pride of China, but also I think it should be the pride of the whole human being. And eventually, this spillover of this technology will actually benefit all human being in the world. Mm. Right. Uh, would Harvey's pick be different? Uh, I have two picks, actually. Right. Um, and one is clearly generative AI, artificial intelligence. That has to be the biggest tech story of the year. And I think it's going to continue to dominate in the future. Right. AI is advanced by leaps and bounds since ChatGPT exploded on the scene a little more than a year ago. AI has clearly changed our lives, but it's a bad news, good news story, I have to say. The bad news is not only that AI lies as much as, it's, as, much as say, somebody like Donald Trump, but that many scientists worry that in the not too distant future, AI is going to achieve AGI or artificial general intelligence and surpass human capabilities. Uh, as is always uh, the case, it seems in science, ethics always go uh, after achievement. And it's like the man in the circus cleaning up after the elephants. But uh, in this case, in the absence of ironclad red lines, AGI actually does have the capability to take over humans and to not be our servant, but our master. So not enough is being done to eliminate the downside that if the extreme can destroy the world, actually. Mm. Um, if you've never seen it, you should find Stanley Kubrick's 1970s movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey, where a computer tries to take over a spaceship and kills most of the occupants. Today, however, we're not talking about far out science fiction, but something potentially existential that could start to occur in larger measure uh, next year. Right. And for me, another one I have to say is the return of Huawei from its near-death experience due to technological strangulation mm, by remarkable. both the Trump and the Biden administrations. I really love the saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that's exactly what the company in China did. Barred by the US from using the most advanced computer chips, they followed the advice of the great Austrian management guru, Peter Drucker, who said that the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And that's what they did. They designed a homegrown chip 
capable of 5G service. And the result is their hot selling P60 phone. So those are those are my choices. Right. Thanks. And Mike, something related to your fashion world? Fashion technology. I, I I think when it comes to technology, uh, I think I'll fall back on uh, the, the, edu- the world of education, which is principally where where I am. ChatGPT. I think this has had huge impact in, in our area, higher education generally, in particular university education. And uh, there's huge concern, if not fear, at the moment. There are positives, and, and there are very real positives. And people are using this positively, but there is real concern that. Um, this is something that is, uh, I think as Harvey just mentioned, it could be could become you know, out of control. Mm. Uh, it could be uh, really too much for, for the, the human mind and the human beings to actually control and, and monitor and manage. So I think chat GPT, particular when it comes to, to education and the the, the the rapid advance of the technology here that, that allows all sorts of uh, things which are not... Um, very easy to police. So, so we're, we're very, very concerned when it comes to uh, student work, student research, uh, and the use or perhaps misuse of chat GPT. I think I would focus on that one. I think I'd also echo Huawei's uh, rejuvenation and, and the latest smartphone uh, that they've produced, I think is also very, very uh, significant. But for me, it's chat GPT. And I think that will be the subject of intense discussion, um, micro and macro level going forward next year and beyond, uh, and let's hope we can um, arrive at uh, a situation where this does become um, much more manageable and more comfortable. So chat GPT. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. To another um, area which is attracting increasing attention these years, which is um, the environment. And I can... I think I can right, say for myself or, or a lot of uh, environmentalists, a major event or incident, I would say, is Japan's discharge of nuclear contaminated water. It's, it's actually um, will have long term ramifications and maybe quite serious. Right, Dr. Chi? Oh, yes, uh, for sure. I think this is a second major event after the Chernobyl uh, we've been encountered as a whole human being. And to be very frankly, this time the contamination and potential influences would be much better than Chernobyl because uh, we have ocean tide. And ocean tide flow over the whole world. So nobody can actually estimate what's going to happen. So are we going to have Godzilla in the future? Mm. Uh, What kind of the radioactive fishes we're going to have in the future? In the deep ocean of the Pacific, nobody knows actually. Mm. So this is basically a you know an X incident, which means a very unknown incident for whole human being, and its externality, you know, is incalculable. Even though everybody say, "Hey, I'm still alive. Don't scare me. Just uh, you know, try to make a fool of everyone, and it's not dangerous because I'm not getting cancer. I'm still here." But who knows? Because with so, you know, with so constant, you know, long-lasting effect of the radioactive issues and matters in the ocean water, and uh, you know, with so many ocean living creatures has been affected, who knows? Because it's kind of like a butterfly. Remember the butterfly, you know, swing its, uh, you know, wing in the, uh, you know, rainforest in Brazil, and then you are going to have a tornado, Lupine. Mm. So it's it's probably this is the closest 
you know, example, in a real life like that, we can observe as a human being. And seems similar scenarios are seen in Europe, Britain, around that area, seawater area, isn't it? And Mike, oh, most definitely. I mean, there's there's been a, I think there's been a huge change, significant change, and I think in public awareness, knowledge, and attitude in this area. So I think that there's a lot of pressure on the. Uh, On the sort of the, the politicians and the, the governing party and parties um, to effect some sort of change, most definitely. And um, cynics would hark back to perhaps privatization policy, perhaps sort of ham-fisted privatization of uh, water in particular, uh, and foreign ownership, and, and the the race for profits, and that led to a deterioration in standards and quality levels. And I, I don't know specific statistics, but I'm sure it's a majority of them. The rivers in, in the UK are polluted. Unacceptably, if there is an acceptable level, so, so I think the, this, um, the, the, this environmental concerns when it comes to water pollution uh, uh, and, and related areas are, are things that are by UK um, dominant, but also perhaps globally dominant. So, in terms of environmental uh, factors and, and developments this year, and perhaps most most important developments this year and next, uh, it, it will be this: the, the environment factors, and in particular, I think COP28. I think is um, Not a very, very positive, optimistic way to end the year in, in this area. And uh, Harvey, your interpretation here?、Uh, well, about Fukushima and the water release, I have to say, who could have imagined that we'd have to practically take a Geiger counter, a radiation counting device, to a seafood restaurant in order to be assured that the food was、uh, not contaminated with、uh, dangerous radiation? But、mm. that's kind of where we are. But for me,、uh, in terms of the environment, a high and low point of 2023 has to be the recent COP28 in Dubai,、uh, which I think was largely a cop out. Rather than a, a major achievement, because on the one hand, for the first time, COP went on record about the need to transition away from fossil fuels in energy systems. But to me, it was a cop out because we've seen the horrific consequences of climate change this year, and this is probably a taste of things to come. And despite the fact that the U.S. and China are again working on climate change, and this is very important because they have to lead. I don't see that the world is biting the bullet and doing enough. Energy needs are just too great, and the global will to take draconian action, which is needed by the end of next year to reduce carbonization, is going to be too low.、Mm. I fear that COP29 in Azerbaijan next November will again be too little, too late to spare us from the extreme effects of climate change. And if we don't bite the bullet right now, Uh, and do something by the next、uh, COP 29. We're going to have irreversible problems, as we've started to see in this year and the few previous years. We're, we're really in an existential situation here that we have to address, and that is not being addressed. I'm very worried. I'm an optimist, but I'm very worried about this.、Mm, right, and with all these mentioned by all our guests here, which are both related to China and the rest of the world. And also, obviously, have a、um, long-term impact on this world. I'd like to ask all of you to summarize, you know, China's role over the past year on the world stage. Is the country a step closer or further away from reaching the goal of the rejuvenation of the of the Chinese nation? 
which is a um, very important task for this whole nation in face of um, reinforced Western suppression over the past year. Mike, please. I think yes. I think certainly closer. I, th- I think the, the rejuvenation of the Chinese economy, the integration, of, international integration of the Chinese economy is happening and is moving forward. And again, in my area, when it comes to fashion and luxury fashion, there is demonstrable proof of that. Like I said, London Fashion Week, 21 Chinese fashion designers bringing Chinese elements, so representing brand China and really leading in terms of quality, creativity, so very, very high premium branding coming out of China, particularly in the fashion side uh, and elsewhere. So, so I think most definitely. One other point I'd like to, to make on the micro level, which I think is most important, more, more so than the macro long term, uh, we see Western brands investing in Chinese brands more. So Estee Lauder invested very, very recently in Chinese luxury fragrance brand Melt Season. I think that's the thin end of the wedge. That will continue. So that speaks volumes for the confidence that the West has in China, brand China, and not just fashion. So, so integration internationally with Chinese brands stepping out onto the international stage is happening more and more and happened significantly in 2023 and more so to come. Mm. But uh, Dr. G, you're saying that 2023 was very difficult. So are you so positive about uh, the whole nation being nearing or nearer to the Chinese dream? Yes, of course. So first of all, I believe Chinese dream and, uh, you know, the dream of the world are more and more uh, closely integrated with each other. Because right. China, if you notice the China's you know statement in the past several years, you will see you know, a uh, human being with a shared future, you know, human being as a whole, human being as a uh, as one community. This kind of a statement has been frequently mentioned because China believe that if China wants to get better, uh, it must based on one fact that the whole world is also getting better. And I think because of that kind of the reason and logic, you see China in the past a difficult one year of providing many things for the world, you know, serving the world as a stabilizer, right? When mm. the world is in conflict. China is trying to, you know, bring everybody back on the table in Palestine and Israel, in the Middle East, several countries. And also uh, when the whole world is facing high inflation, China is trying to bring down the cost of the supply chain by its effort uh, and uh, his partners, you know, through the trade deals, through all kinds of, you know, uh, the free trade zone arrangement and et cetera. Uh, when we're facing stale challenges in the climate change, you see tornadoes, tsunamis happening. In the past one year, China is trying to pushing forward all kinds of agreement and the common and the joint actions on climate change, green development. So I think China is more than anyone else believing that if China wants to get better, it must get the whole world better first. So I think, yes, indeed, China is getting closer to its target of, you know, a better China, rejuvenization of Chinese nation, because we have seen China is doing good for the rest of the whole world. And that's a good sign of its true understanding of its goal and a true achieving its goal. Mm, all right. Then, Harvey, what's your observation from distance? I believe that definitely uh, China is uh, making its way to its national rejuvenation and that it's due to the leadership of President Xi. This is where it's coming from. And I think most people outside of China and outside of Chinese scholars don't know that China has a history of over 5,000 years and that it was the world's undisputed leader on so many levels for much of that time. 
I don't think President Xi's goal actually is to replace the U.S. as the global hegemon, but it's certainly to make China a world leader, and uh, it's fast becoming that world leader. Unlike the U.S., China hasn't fought a war in decades, and that's not by accident. China is for uh, common prosperity and for a peaceful world and a community of shared future for everyone. I think China is sincere in aiming to build this uh, global community with a shared future. And I think China's on its way. By one measure, China's already the world's largest economy. We've seen the continued success of the BRI, uh, as well as China's leadership in so many fields like manufacturing, AI, R&D, and the like. Despite extreme obstacles put in China's path to prevent it uh, from achieving its rejuvenation, I believe that it's onward and upward for this already rejuvenated nation. Mm, right. Uh, despite the difficulties you, you all mentioned, our gentlemen here all seem very optimistic about the future. So let's talk a little bit about the, you know, the outlook of 2024. Where is the world actually heading into, both economically and uh, politically? Will well, Dr. Chu just said he expects a better world, but both the IMF and the, and the World Bank anticipate growth to uh, remain slow and uneven, especially in emerging and developing economies. So, Dr. Chi, will the world get better or worse? Well, I think if you want me to describe the, my forecast about next year, hmm. I think the keywords would be change. Right. We're going to see major changes happening in the next coming year. Uh, because this is uh, Good to how hear. I read the tea leaves. <laughs> this is how I read the tea leaves. It tells me. <laughs> Fortune teller, <laughs> and, are you? Uh, yeah. The reason why I say that is uh, we're going to see a major shift in the economic paradigm next year. Mm -hmm. Because America is going to quit its uh, historic uh, high level of the interest rate hike. And then uh, the whole financial scenario will back to the normal, as we mentioned. Uh, but that's back into normal. Not necessarily mean it's a good thing because sometimes it means they have to lower the interest rate further next year. Maybe there is a recession happening. And we have observed a similar situation in the past 50 years because it happens every time when America lowered the interest rate from the high ground, sometimes a bad thing happens. So this is something we really need to pay attention to. And also, as Harvey just mentioned, the war is still there. There's no sign that's ending, mm. as well as Palestine and uh, you know Israel conflicts has been there. And as my foresee is next year, there are going to be new wars. Apart from the previous two, there are going to be new wars happening in other regions as well. So there's going to be potential recession. There are going to be new wars happening. And uh, also there are going to be uh, new technology popping or new applications popping. So good and bad together, a new good and new bad. So... That's the reason what I mentioned. It's a year of change. Right. Hopefully it will be a year of change. And Mike, do you expect a bumpier ride in 2024? I, I think it will be bumpy. I'm not sure how bumpy. If we come back to Europe and the UK in particular, the, the word recession is being used now, that the economy has shrunk again. Uh, so Could be bumpier. not terribly optimistic. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, I think uh, quite a bumpy ride. I think it could be very incremental. I think we'll see how we go. I think the first few months will be very, very telling. Uh, and, and again, political change in the UK may bring about some, some more optimism. But, but on the economic front, 
we are at best seeing a gradual recovery. So I think that it will be bumpy, but I think it will be bumpy in the right direction. Mm. And what's Harvey's expectation? You're going to have a grand event next year. We don't want to repeat what's happened, um, you know, four years ago, right? Right. Well, it's not only in America, but uh, there are important elections in other places. So the first important election uh, that we have to pay great attention to is in Taiwan in two weeks. That race uh, is hard to predict at the moment. There's a lot of backing and forthing in terms of the three uh, parties there, Uh, but we need to uh, watch it carefully. But to me, the other two elections are also significant, the upcoming EU parliamentary elections, which could have significant impacts on the two ongoing wars on EU-China relations and the very future of the EU itself. The big one, though, is, as you said, in the U.S. on November 6th, it may well turn out to be a race between Sleepy Joe and Slippery Trump, (laughs) although the 10 months until the elections are held are an eternity in politics. Expect, though, that both parties are going to agree, as I said before, on one issue, and that's demonizing China. Trump looks set to be the Republican nominee, Biden the Democratic nominee. But Trump leads Biden in the polls. But if he's convicted of any of the numerous state and local crimes with with which he's been charged, he can easily lose, according to many polls. If Biden wins, I don't think there'll be much change. But if Trump wins, I think we need to watch out. He's been quoting Adolf Hitler a lot lately, and if he's elected, he's going to isolate the U.S. from other countries economically, and especially have China in its crosshairs. He's going to put fascists in his administration that will make his first term look like it was liberal. If Trump wins, I'm convinced it's not only game over for America, but unfortunately, um, game over for the world and life as we've known it. It's just that serious. Let's hope for a a good result for that. And... um... How good it would be, we don't know. It's kind of cliche, but we do hope um, that in the new year, peace will replace war, cooperation will replace conflict, and integrity will replace hypocrisy. And let's also hope the ride in front of us next year could be easier and smoother. And indeed, we need some change. And with that, we wrap up our last chat for 2023. Many thanks to Harvey Zodin, Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Dr. Chi Chang, Research Fellow of Global Issues, Beijing Foreign Studies University, and Mike Baston, Senior Lecturer with University of Southampton, UK. If you have anything to say about the topic or the show, please email radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tu Yin. Thank you for being with us. We'll chat more next year. Have a happy new year, everybody. You too. You Thanks. Too. Happy, happy new year, everyone. New year. Happy new year. what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there.